Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The universe is made of stories, not of atoms. Muriel Rukeyser. And we said, yeah. So in Germany, that's forbidden. You know, in Germany, that, that's illegal. You'll get arrested and thrown in jail if you're caught riding in the bed of a pickup truck. So the shuttle driver was like, well, when I bring you back to the trail tomorrow, you can ride in the back of the bed, <laughs> the bed of the pickup truck. So the next morning, they, they pick them up, and uh, it's a frigid cold day. I mean, it was freezing, and there's, you know, I'm hiking with three other guys, and we feel bad that these two girls are sitting in the bed of the truck, and the three guys are crawling in, you know, in the cab, the warm cab. But those girls climb the bed of that truck, and, and Franklin is a, is a long hitch. It's a long drive. It's like 20, you know, 20 minutes or so. So it was cold. We get to the trailhead, those girls pop out of the bed and they were, had the biggest smiles on their faces. You know, they said, this was the best thing ever. You know, we, we had the best time. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, attorney, AT through hiker, and the author of multiple outdoor books, Jeff Mitchell. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Jeff. How's it going? Good, Doc. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, we typically go uh, by trail names here on the podcast, and uh, you know, Doc doesn't appear on my paycheck or my driver's license. Um, I'm wondering if in your time in the outdoors, have you picked up a trail name? Uh, yes, about halfway through my through hike on the AT, I got the trail name Wordsmith. Wordsmith. 
Okay. Yes. Well, that makes sense if you're an author, right? That's very appropriate. Yeah. Now, was there a, a story behind the name or did, did they just find out that you were a, an author? Well, I mean, I, I wanted a trail name, obviously. And once you get to Harper's Ferry, you go to the uh, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, you know, headquarters, their their office there. And you get the Polaroid picture taken of you and you often write down your, your trail name on that. So I wanted to have a trail name before I got to Harper's Ferry. Um, and I, I couldn't find one, you know, nothing stuck. People were suggest, suggesting like lawyer names. And I wasn't into that. I didn't want to, I didn't want a lawyer type, you know, trail name. So I, I write and I also wrote, wrote stories on Instagram that kind of got a following and, uh, so I asked my girlfriend and she suggested Wordsmith and I didn't, I didn't care for it, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't like it that much. And then I asked my hiking friends back home in Pennsylvania here, you know, what should I, what should my name be? And they suggested Wordsmith. So I thought, well, that's a sign and I'll take it. So I, I wrote down Wordsmith on my, on my picture at the Harper's Ferry and that's who I was for the rest of the hike. Okay. Very suitable. And you said you, you stories on Instagram. Tell us about that. What, what did that look like? Well, I was there to take pictures of my hike, you know, the different scenery, but also the people. I really focused on, you know, trying to document the people I came across on the trail, hearing their stories and just my experiences. And then I'd, I'd write them down like every almost every night in my tent before I went to bed, I would you know, turn on my phone and open up the notes and start, you know, writing a story. And then I'll cut and paste that into my Instagram account. And um, people took a liking to it, you know, and people from all over started reading these stories and they really, they really enjoyed them. You know, I also, I also try to become more personal. Um, you know, I try to not just describe the scenery of the trail, but my personal thoughts and feelings and fears. And um, it really resonated with people more so than I expected. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Some like it's a short form storytelling. Yes, with, yes, uh, it was pictures and it words, was, and you know? focusing on the uh, the surroundings and the and the characters in it. Yeah, that that uh, that's very intriguing. Yeah, I mean, and it was just it wasn't all personal, you know, and, and and emotionally dense. It was also you know you know light, you know, some funny stories, you know, some interesting people you come across on the trail, you know. So it had a whole gamut of emotions. You know, that was, it was a joy to write. It was a joy to share that with people. I like that phrase, emotionally dense, because that can have, that can have two meanings, right? It's got, it's got a dual meaning. You can be emotionally yeah. dense, you know, just like you, know, <laughs> you don't do well with emotions or you could be like deep, deep, you know, yeah. thick, yeah. thick with emotion. Yeah. So which one of those uh, describes you? Boy, I, I, I think I'm, I think I have some emotional intelligence, so I'd probably go with the latter is, is okay. my guess. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I'm going to change your name on the screen here so that we know who we're talking to. Wordsmith. Nope. Oh. And let me ask you, Wordsmith, have, have you listened to the podcast before? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. So you know what you're getting into. Yeah. I have an idea. And you still, you still showed up tonight. So that's great. You're a brave man. Any, any particular uh, episode of note that comes to, to mind? No, not really. No. Um, but I, I did some research before I got on today. So. Okay. All right. So you know that towards the end of the episode, we have a segment called the pro tip inside of the week 
That's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some outdoor wisdom with our listeners to make their next experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. <laughs> All right. The must bring gear review. Okay, Wordsmith. Another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, Six Moon Designs. Here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day or multi-month hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Wordsmith, what did you have to have with you out there on the AT? Any brand whatsoever. It doesn't have to be, could be any brand. Any brand, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it was my inflatable pillow. Um, you know that that was a, it was kind of a comfort piece of gear, and it changed my sleeping. You know, it improved my rest. And uh, you know, I had inflatable pillow for about half the trail, and it really changed you know changed my hike quite a bit more than I expected. So, um, the one I use now is Outdoor Vitals. Their inflatable pillow. You know, it's really light, very comfortable. Um, works great. So that's the one I would insist upon without question. Yeah. Outdoor Vitals uh, sponsored the podcast for a couple of seasons. They, they've got some great gear, some great products. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, their pillows. Excellent. So I would mm -hmm. definitely recommend that. Yeah. Let, let's talk about uh, pillows and sleeping on the trail. You know, there's a lot of folks that'll try and cut weight and try and use things as, you know, multi-purpose uh, devices. So they'll use a stuff sack with, you know, some of their clothes and use that as a pillow. Why was that not an option for you? It just, I, I tried that, you know, I've, I tried that in prior backpacking trips and it, I just don't get the rest, you know, you know, my, my head, I don't know, just was too dense. It was too, you know, too, um, not comfortable enough for me. So, uh, it just didn't fit well with my head or my neck. So, you know, it's, it's light and it's just, it just helps me out. You know, I can also use that as, as a sit pad. So I really enjoyed the pillow, you know, um, just great for me. Yeah, totally agree. I think we had the same experience in that. Uh, I tried the, the, the stuff sack of clothes or a, you know, a puffy kind of just bunched up under my head and it, it did not work as well as I had hoped and sleep is important on the trail. I mean, it, it's hard enough to sleep uh, on the trail because you're in a, you know, you're, in a different, different place and, and just getting comfortable and, and being restless and tossing and turning. So anything you can do to improve the sleep experience, you're going to be better off for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I tried to in Pennsylvania when I was going on the trail, I, I tried to slim down my, my sleep kit and it was a huge mistake. You know, I was, I, I, I just was not sleeping that well. You know, I got rid of my, my, uh, my down bag and was trying to use a liner instead. And I would just was getting cold that night. You know, I just was not comfortable and, uh, you know, it was a big mistake. So, uh, I take sleep very seriously after that experience. <laughs> Wordsmith, that almost sounds like a pro tip, an early pro tip. Uh, don't, don't, don't <laughs> skimp on the sleep equipment. No, well, there it is. There it is. I just, I oh, just no, you're just, you're still on the hook for later. So don't, don't, you're not going to get off that easy. All right. And when you were on the AT, what was your base weight? Uh, my base weight is about 15 pounds. Okay. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't, wasn't, you know, it wasn't ultra late, but it was, uh, it was manageable, probably less than that. Actually in the beginning, I would say about 15, 16 pounds, about halfway through the trails, probably lower than that, probably 12. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, to keep, keep us uh, talking about gear. It's the hiking pole. We're going to go to the hiking pole, and that is pole spelled P-O-L-L, like a survey, not P-O-L-E, like the thing you hold in your hand. And this is a seven-question survey that's going to help me determine a sanity score for you. Sanity scores oh, between boy. one and 100, with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, Wordsmith, because you've done uh, a long, one of the American long trails, there's an automatic 25-point deduction. So the highest score you can achieve is 75. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we, we already know there's something a little bit off about you. Yeah, yeah there it. is. Yeah. So if I were to ask your significant other or maybe a close friend, you know, where, where would Wordsmith fall on the sanity scale? What, what kind of score do you think they give you? And zero is the lowest. Zero like insane. is insane. That's right. All right. Uh, they'd give me a 35. Oh, 35. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're kind of wacky. All right. Yeah. yeah a little wacky. <laughs> well, they're, they're not backpackers, you know? So, you know, most of my friends aren't backpackers or they've never done through hikes. So, you know, as you mentioned, just doing this thing to begin with, you know, knocks my score down. So, uh, Right. You know, they, they have a more traditional, you know, life. So, uh, yeah, 35 is probably being a little generous. Okay. And, and, uh, one of your, one of your family members, what, what would they score you? Oh boy. Jeez. I, I would say they probably give me a 55. Okay. Yeah. S still not a very high score wordsmith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I would say 55. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're crazier than me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the pot yeah, calling the kettle yeah. black, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Let, let's, let's go down these questions. We'll, we'll see how you, how you fare in the, the John freaking mirror pot hiking pole. First question, trekking poles, trekking poles or no trekking poles. I did use trekking poles, and but I carried them probably 90% of the time. Like I didn't actually use them. I carried them. Um, there was actually a hiker on the trail who was like, you know, you always just carry your trekking poles. You never use them. And I said, I know, but that's just my habit, you know? So I, I, I do have trekking poles, but like I said, I carry them 90% of the time. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be a fun interview. I can tell already because you've already fit right in. You, you give your answer. And then of course you give a justification for it, which is a bit <laughs> odd. So yeah, I, 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 I like this. All right. Question number two, what's on your feet, boots or trail runners? Trail runners. Yeah, no question. I, I, I would not ever use boots. Um, it's just, I mean, like everyone, most, I mean, I would say 90% of the through hikers, 95% of the through hikers use trail runners, especially in the AT, it's a, it's a wet trail. You know, you want something that, that drains water that will, that has a great uh, ventilation, um so definitely trail runners yeah do you have a favorite brand that you use uh i would say Saucony's. um Saucony was my favorite shoe um i used to Saucony. um she's can't remember the name of the shoe the, the the specific model of the shoe um i did use hokas for about 500 miles the speed goats and i like them but they're just too big you know, that there's just a heavy cushioned shoe and, uh, it was just, I couldn't feel the rocks, you know, I couldn't feel the surface underneath my feet. Um, and they were just such a big shoe that just, 
you know, stepping between rocks and roots and all that stuff you have on the AT was kind of a nuisance. Uh, so I, I went to the Sauconies and I, I really liked them. Okay. And how many pairs of trail runners did you go through on the AT? I used four, um, but I completely used out one. Uh, so the other three were just really worn down, but still somewhat usable, but I used four shoes in total. Okay. What, what is, what is the trail life on there, uh, on the, the trail runners is about 600 miles, maybe before you got to really replace them five. Yeah, I would say 500, 500, 600 miles. You're, you're dealing with not just your tread wearing out, but also just losing cushioning, you know, from compaction. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, that was the biggest problem was just the compaction and also, of course, the tread just, you know, leaving, leaving the shoe. So uh, definitely five to 600 miles is my guess. Yeah. Wordsmith, you got to pick up your feet a little bit. You're supposed to leave no trace. Don't, don't leave any of the tread on the trail, bud. All right. When it comes to uh, your sleep system out there, were you a tent guy, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? I had a tent and it was a throwback. It was a Eureka Spitfire. So, uh, you know, you never see Eurekas of any kind really on the trail anymore, you know, because it's all ultralight, you know, stuff. So, uh, yeah, I had a Eureka Spitfire from years ago and I brought it out on the trail and it worked great. You know, it really did. And uh, I was the only one with that tent. I bet. It kept me dry. It's fairly light. Uh-huh. You know, it, it, it did great. So I have absolutely no complaints. They no longer even make it. They no longer make the Spitfire. So I wish they did, but it was a really good tent. You know, I really liked it. So it wasn't ultralight and it was from a few years ago. How, how much, how much did it weigh? Uh, well, I, I packed the pole separately. So just the bag with the fabric in it was about two pounds. Um, so I would say two and a half pounds is my guess. Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't, wasn't too bad. All right. Question number, let's see, where are we? Four. Question four. When it comes to sleeping, are you a sleeping bag guy or a quilt? Quilt guy. Sleeping bag. Sleeping bag. Sleeping bag. Down or synthetic? Down. I had a 20 20 degree down bag. Okay. And and, And and it was a it was another old, I mean, my approach to gear was different than everyone else's. Um like I, I, I'd been backpacking for years, you know, so, and I had a lot of older style gear, you know, I, I wasn't, and I wanted light gear. I wanted the ultralight stuff, you know, I really did, but you really can't go to a store and get it. You know, it's all online. You can't test it for yourself. And I just was kind of leery of, of buying this expensive gear that I couldn't test. I couldn't, you know, feel for myself. So, you know, my approach was different. I, I kind of brought out my older, heavier style gear in the beginning of the hike and used it. So, you know, I had a, you probably haven't heard of the store, but in the East, Campmore is a big, is a fairly well-known outdoor store in New Jersey. And they used, they used to make their own gear. So they had a, they, they made a 20 degree down bag, which is pretty light, you know, I think under two pounds, at least for my needs. So I used that and it worked great. You know, um, like I wanted a lighter pack, uh, I'm not sure if you're getting this or not, but, uh, you know, I want a letter pack and I had to change that halfway through the hike as well. But, um, I just kind of stuck with my older gear that worked and, uh, you know, I, I have no regrets. Yeah, Jeff, I think you bring up a very important part, uh, point, And that is, you know, some, some people are, you know, 
the ultralight gear is a big investment. And it, you know, if you, if you don't have the, the, the chance to, to test it out ahead of time, I mean, that's, you, you're kind of uh, rolling the dice on whether it's going to suit yeah. you or it's not going to suit you. It's a big investment. And that might get in the way of someone, you know, taking the first steps out there on the trail. They're, they're waiting to you know get the right gear. And I think that the point that, that you're making is that go with the, go with the gear you have. Don't let that be an impediment. Uh, sure. I, I mean, absolutely. Here I mean, you went, you went 2,300 miles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you don't have to do all the ultralight stuff, you know, as long as your, your weight is reasonable, you know, as long as it's not hurting you, you know, don't be afraid to, to use what you have. Okay. Question number five. This is a very dangerous question. Just going to let you know, there's a possible for a huge point deduction here. So uh, when it comes to food, what's my score now? Yeah, What's my score I'll, now? I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I have to put it through the, the algorithm. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, but question number question number five, when it comes to food, are you a stove guy, cold soak or stoveless? I do not use a I do not use a stove. Um, I used cold soak a few times on the trail. I didn't care for it. So I was stoveless, you know, and I I, I just don't want to clean up. You know, I don't want to hike, you know, 15, 20 miles a day or whatever and don't have to deal with cleaning up and cooking and all that stuff and worry about having a gas canister, you know, so. You know, I, I just, I just ate cold food and, you know, I guess I'm really crazy. I guess my score's really going down. <laughs> but, it's, it's very um, troubling. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in, in my defense, in my defense, I would say over half the through hikers were not cooking their food. Um, definitely by the, the last half of the hike. So you, no you're saying peer pressure then? No, no, no. I, I influenced them, you know? Oh, wow. I got it. Okay. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's just, I think it's just a hassle, you know? So. uh, All right. Question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? Oh, geez. From the moments you're up there, I have to say above it, you know? Uh, Yeah. I mean, New Hampshire, Maine, yeah, those are special times, special moments. So, uh, you know, those are the moments that you just don't ever forget, you know, so I would have to say above. Okay. And last question in the poll, what's more important, pack weight or luxury items? Mm. I, I, I would say pack weight. I would have to say pack weight. Yeah, I mean, like for in my case, I had one luxury item, my my pillow that we discussed. So, um, and that was you know, a I would say pack heavy, weight. That was a real heavy luxury item too. What, what <laughs> was it, three ounces? Yeah, if that. So, um, uh, yeah, I would I have to, I'd say pack weight. Yeah, I'm not a big luxury item guy, so uh, pack weight. All right. Well, that concludes the hiking poll. Let me take your answers, your very troubling answers in some instances. Let's run it through the, the algorithm here. I do some math. Say I carry the four. I'm going to divide that by root three. I'm going to multiply by pi. And we'll we'll adjust for the uh, the wind speed at the top of Mount Washington last week. And I come up with a score of 31. Oh, 31. wow. Yes. that that Jeez. You know what? That is the lowest score in quite a while. Wordsmith. Congratulations. 
Oh boy, gosh. Well, Your family's man. worst fears have been confirmed. You are a little bit out there. I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, as the conversation continues tonight, that score can go up or can it can it, you can even lose more points uh, depending on on you know where we go. So I'll take All that right. chance. Okay. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. Uh, tell us about your background. Where, where'd you grow up? What kinds of sports did you play uh, in school? And how did you get involved in through hiking and outdoor adventure? Uh, well, I live in Northeast PA, Pennsylvania, near Scranton, about half an hour from Scranton. Um, I grew up in this area. Um, you a big when fan I was of the a office? kid, I'm you a big fan of the office. <laughs> That's all I heard about for the first month on the trail. Whenever I said where I was from, they would say, oh, the office, oh, the office. You know, that's all I heard about. But yes, yes, the same town as the office. I have never seen a full episode. You're lucky. I have never seen a full episode of the office. Really? You're lucky. You're lucky you didn't get stuck with the trail name of Dwight because, you know, you know, I I squint my eyes a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and uh, growing up, my family was basically a fishing, you know, camping type family. I'd never hiked as a little kid. I never hiked even in my teens, really. And then um, in high school, I, I ran cross country or in school, I ran cross country. I also played tennis. Um, and then after I graduated college, you know, I was working two jobs. I had, you know, no money. I was, you know, pretty kind of poor. And um I just had a day where I had nothing to do, you know? So, you know, I, I just didn't know what to do with myself. So I looked on the map and there was a state park nearby called Ricketts Glen. And I, I went there to hike and I was blown away by the beauty of the place. And I couldn't believe a place this nice existed so close to home. And I was just amazed, you know? So um, I just was wondering what else is out there, you know, what else am I missing? You know? So I just started hiking. It was, cheap, convenient, accessible. And I just went from there, you know, so I never looked back, you know, I, I never, never looked back. It's been the, one of the best things that's happened that's happened in my life. And do you remember that moment where, where this idea just popped into your head? Let's, let's go to this, uh, let's go to this park and, and walk around a bit and see, see what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, you know, I remember driving by it as a little kid and, you know, seeing the sign but it never clicked in my head to actually go there. You know, that, that I never made that leap, you know, cause again, I didn't come from a hiking family. I didn't come from a backpacking family. So um, it was really out of being poor and being bored and looking for an outlet to do, you know? So, and I always had an interest in the outdoors. I was always curious about, you know, where does that Creek go to, or where does that, what does that view might look like on top of a mountain, you know, but I never put two and two together. So that's the moment I put two and two together. And, you know, you know, I haven't stopped since really, you know, it's changed am, my life. Really, really has changed my life. I am always intrigued by that, that little moment where it, it clicks into place and your life takes a turn. It, it, it goes in a direction that you had not foreseen. And, you know, years later, decades later, you're in a, a very different place just because of that one moment. Uh, that is just yeah, so, yeah. so fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, truly. It really was. And um, yeah. And just, I mean, just the places I've seen since then is just whether the AT had been out West, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just so thankful I had that moment. You know, I'm so thankful I had that experience because it sent me on a path where I think my life has been much more fulfilling and 
much more rewarding. And, um, and I'm just so thankful for it. Okay. And where are you calling in from right now? I'm well, it's a little town called Falls, Pennsylvania. It's about uh, 30 miles, 20 miles from Scranton. Got it. Got it. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't uh, fall far from the tree then. No, no, I, I didn't. I mean, I, where I grew up is only about 10 minutes away. So um, where I was born was, was about 20 minutes away. And that was never my plan. You know, I never, I never intended to stay in PA, you know, most people kind of leave PA, you know, but um, it just, the way my life worked out. And, um, you know, that's a strange thing. I mean, you, you always think the grass is greener somewhere else, you know, until you take the time to see what's here, you know, like, and, you know, I've written books obviously about this area and, you know, this area is a lot more beautiful than people realize, you know, people don't realize the beauty in their own backyards. And I've seen that throughout the entire AT, you know, people not realizing how much beauty they have in their own backyard. So when you, when you give your home a chance to see what might actually be there, you kind of let go of all that teenage stigma and teenage, you know, you know, burdens that you might have, then you, you'll be amazed you know, what you've been missing your whole life. So, you know, I, I've, I've always been open to moving, you know, I've always been open to maybe going out West or wherever, but there's so much here. And on the East coast, at least PA is on the perfect place, you know, in five, six hours, I could be in the Adirondacks or the whites or South central Virginia or Dolly sods in West Virginia. So for me, you know, it's really the perfect place to, to live. Yeah. As I pointed that out to you, that you, you didn't fall far from the tree. Um, I had a smile on my face and then I realized that, you know, look, who's calling the, uh, the, the, the pot black this time, the guy who, who grew up, uh, you know, 15 minutes South of here. So I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. So <laughs> now, do you remember when you first heard about the AT, this trail that goes from Georgia to Maine? That's a good question. Um, I think I knew of in high school. You know, but again, it never clicked with me. Um, you would hear about it in the news or someone hiked it or, you know, some tragedy tragedy happened on it. But I, I mean, when it really clicked for me was actually in the Smoky Mountains. You know, about 20 years ago, I was driving through the Smoky Mountains, um, just, you know, visiting. And I stopped in Newfound Gap where the trail goes through Newfound Gap in this great Smoky Mountains. And I had to go to the bathroom. So I, I was walking down the, the side trail to go to the restroom and I saw a wooden sign that said, you know, Katahdin, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, 1900 miles to the North. And that's when it really sunk in like, you know, holy crap. I mean, I can walk this thing home. I can walk this thing to Maine. You know, that's the first time it really resonated with me. And I just remember thinking, God, just imagine all the experiences you would have. Just imagine all the adventures and all the amazing things you would see if you can do that, you know, and in my mind, I never thought I would, you know, in my mind, I never thought I would have the money or the opportunity or the time to actually do it. It was just a dream, like a fantasy, you know, that like, like climbing Mount Everest, you know, it was just, you know, unattainable. So that was the first moment really clicked with me. And when I passed that sign on this through like that was a special moment, you know, when I passed that sign and saw it and touched it and I, you know, headed north. I love that image that you have just painted for us that uh, you're off to the bathroom and you come across this footpath with a sign next to it that says 1900 miles that way you can get to Katahdin and just yep. 
holy smokes, you know, you, you, yeah. you could walk there, right? 1900 miles. That's just there. a, a yeah. paradigm shifter right there. Absolutely. It was without a question. Yeah. All right. Jeff, what do you, what do you do to pay the bills? Other than, other than writing your, writing your books, what, what is your, your main job? My profession is an attorney. Um, I was a district attorney for 12 years. Uh, that job ended last year. So I am an attorney um, now. Um, I'm not actually working right now. I'm taking some time off. Um, I plan to do the Colorado Trail this year and the PCT next year. Um, but um, my profession is, is an attorney. Fantastic. Do you have a specialty? I know, I know as, a, as a DA, you were a prosecutor, but uh, in, in yeah, I, just, are you leaning in a, typical, uh, a particular direction? Yeah, I was mostly criminal. I was actually criminal defense before becoming a DA, and then um, I, I was a prosecutor. So criminal law was probably my specialty. I also had a small private practice before I became DA, and I was just general practice, you know, municipal law, um, some wills, things of that nature. Also, you know, some divorce, custody, things like that. So uh, I had a small general practice before I became DA. Now, interesting. You were a defense attorney before becoming a, a prosecutor. Yes, actually, I was a public defender for public defender. Yeah, for five or six years before I became before I became a DA. Yep. And which side is better? <laughs> oh wow, that's a good. I mean, I the the, the being a prosecutor is is the better position, I would say, but it has its own challenges. You know, I I would say it's the it's the more challenging and more difficult side of of criminal criminal law work. Um, you have a lot more stress, you know, a lot more pressure. Um, so I would have to say being a prosecutor. Okay. And, and did being a public defender help prepare you to be a prosecutor? Did you kind of, kind of oh, some, uh, some great insights oh, yeah. about uh, your, your opponent across the table there? Sure. Sure. It definitely does. Um, it, it, uh, it, it opened my mind, you know, not just to the techniques that a defense attorney might use or, the arguments they might make, but also, you know, trying to see the humanity in the person you're prosecuting, you know, and, you know, being a DA, you can easily become cynical, you know, you can easily be driven by politics and doing what's popular, but you can't let that control your position. You can't let that control your direction. So you have to see the humanity of the person you're prosecuting, you know, a very small number of them might be, might be evil, you know, might be very bad, but the vast majority are not bad, evil people. You know, they're, they're addicted. They've made a mistake. Um, you know, they're not going to ever hurt anyone. And I think, um, you know, seeing that definitely made me a very good prosecutor, you know, recognizing that made me a very good prosecutor. So I was able to determine, you know, who to really go after and hammer and who, you know, deserve it, deserve the second chance because I saw them on the other side, you know? So um, I'm really thankful for that experience before I became a DA. So you're part of our legal Eagles week because uh, the episode that came out two days before this one did uh, was with Michael Cole, who lives in Connecticut. And he was a federal prosecutor, former Marine federal prosecutor for, for the uh, department of justice for like 10 years. And then went on to become the assistant attorney general for the state of Connecticut for 15 wow. years. So had a lot of fun talking to him and kind of picking his brain as well. I'll ask you the same question I asked him. Was there a seminal case 
that really stands out to you during your your career as prosecutor? You don't have to go into the details and the specifics. I, I understand that, but is there? A, can you give us a thirty thousand thirty thousand foot view of the you know the case that really sticks out in your in your uh, experience? I mean, I handle thousands of cases. You know, thousands of them. Um, I mean, the one that, that affected me the most was definitely a homicide case I handled. It was a murder, first degree murder case. Um, I mean, it was absolutely tragic. And um, for a long time, we didn't even have the remains, you know. So uh, it was a very difficult case, but it resulted in a conviction after a after a trial. And, um, you know, very proud of that. Um, but um, it was it was it was very tough. And I think it really um, it affected me more than I realized, you know, it, it um it was it, it made me realize that I needed to do this hike. You know, I needed that that not that escape, but you know, that that removal from the from doing that. It's not because I didn't like the job, because I liked the job. I, I liked helping people and I liked um, you know, holding people accountable. You know, I did I did appreciate doing that, but you know, the sad reality is that a position like what I did or your prior guest did, it it it, it can poison you. You know, and it, it can um, it can be very caustic, and it can result in a lot of cynicism and a lot of a lot of emotional stuff that prosecutors have, and a lot of emotional stuff that police officers have that they're not dealing with that I didn't deal with. You know, it builds up over time because you see things that regular society doesn't see. You know, you you deal with things that regular society doesn't deal with. Um, and it really builds up on you. There's a lot of poison that can really be flown through your veins. So, you know, for me to move on to the trail was was truly a lifesaver. You know, it really, really probably saved my life in many respects because it just kind of it cleaned the slate and it, it reminded me how good people are. You know, so, um, you know, I the, the trail, you know, in many respects, you know, saved me. Yeah, that is a common theme that, that comes up with a lot of the people that I've talked to is that the the trail is transformative. Uh, it's healing. Uh, you have a lot of people on trail dealing with a lot of different things. Uh, they're out there for their own reasons. And a, a lot of those people are carrying the burdens of, you know, civilized life and, and past trauma and mm -hmm. things that they've seen and they've done. And they're they're figuring it out out there. And they come out on the other side, usually uh, much uh, much improved, much healed, uh, just a, a different person. So. Oh yeah, definitely. That was the case with me. You know, um, you know, I just felt myself becoming healthier, you know, not just physically, but also emotionally. And um, like, I mean, I remember, you know, working as a DA because you, you, you always feel that stress. You always feel that pressure, you know, it never leaves because you don't, you never know when you're getting that call, you know, for a homicide or getting that call for a child abuse case. You never know, you know, so you always have that weighing on you. Um, so would, I remember walking up the steps and I'm a, I'm a pretty healthy guy, but I remember walking the steps in the course, almost losing my breath sometimes, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's from anxiety or stress or just cardiovascular issues. I have no idea, but, you know, I, but when I was on that trail, you know, I became the healthiest ever I ever was. You know, my my blood pressure went down. You know, my blood oxygen level went high. You know, it truly, you know, truly saved me physically and emotionally. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to bring the mood down. So no. Okay. no. 
We're going to take a quick break and hear from the sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to get down into uh, some of the nitty gritty of your your uh, outdoor adventures, the AT, of course. And then we, I also want to talk about your books because you have multiple outdoor books that I want to hear about. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Jeff Mitchell, aka Wordsmith, and we've just heard a lot about his background and and uh, previous career, which he's taking a break from right now. But let's talk about outdoor adventure. How, so you, you talked about the awareness when you became aware of the AT. Did you was that your first trip? Was was jumping onto the AT, or did you have any kind of uh, smaller, shorter hikes? No, I did a uh, weekend backpacks on the AT, you know, I've done different states, uh, you know, and I did day hikes on the AT as well. So I was, I was somewhat familiar with the trail. Um, 
But once my job had ended, I realized it was an opportunity to, uh, it was now or never, you know, it was now or never to do this, to, to, to do this trail. And uh, I didn't do a lot of planning beforehand. You know, I actually made a decision and two weeks later I was on the trail, you know, so that's, that's how quick it went. And I got my gear together and I started walking, you know, so it was, it was truly that quick. Wow. That's impressive. Cause I know a lot of people take significant amount of time to plan, you know, they're going over the logistics, they're dialing in their yeah. gear, they're taking, you know, uh, overnight trips or multiple day trips just to get accustomed mm-hmm. to the gear and they trying to figure it all out before they hit the trail. You, it was almost kind of like a, a leap of faith. You, you, you threw it together yeah. and you headed off down to, down to Springer. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all you need to do is walk. You need to have gear and you need to walk. It's it, people overthink it. You know, you just simplify it. You know, you need gear for your shelter, for, for food, water, clothing, sleep system. That's basically the five categories, you know, so you get those together and you start walking, you know, mm-hmm. end of story, you know, that's all you need to do. Yeah. Do you have siblings? Yeah. One brother. One brother. Um, and are your parents still with us? Yes. Yes. They live in Florida. Okay. So when, and do you have a significant other? Yes. Uh, her name's Leanne. Okay. So when you decided to do this, you said you got this wild hair and you said, you know what, I'm doing this two weeks. I'm leaving. I'll see you in, you know, four or five, six months. Uh, what, what was the family's reaction to this? Uh, they, they, they weren't surprised. Um, I mean, they, they've known, I, I like to hike for years, you know, they've known that, they know about the AT, uh, so they they weren't too shocked. You know, they 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 encouraged me. They were supportive. You know, they, you know, so they 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 weren't too surprised. Okay. Now you head off down to Springer. What are you expecting? What what are your expectations for the trip? Boy, that's a. Um. In terms of what, like the trail or the people or like what what do you mean specifically like just the experience in general or yeah how did how did you think it was gonna go I mean was this gonna be a, was this gonna be a piece of cake did you know kind of what you were getting no. into what were you hoping to you know what, what would be a good result I knew it was gonna be tough um, I was scared I was nervous you know I really was and I had years of backpacking experience you know so I. I did not take it lightly. You know, I did not go there thinking this is going to be a piece of cake. Um, I, I was, I didn't know what to expect with the chill community. I wasn't familiar with the chill community. I didn't have much interaction with them before. Um, but I was, I was just, and I couldn't say that I expected to, to finish. I really could not tell you that I was going to finish. Um, I was just hoping to, to make a good showing you know, to, to at least get the feel of the trail and the, the feel of the experience and the feel of the community. Um, but um, I was just, I think I had the deer in the headlights look, you know, and I just thought to myself, like, I have to keep moving forward. I have to keep moving forward. I have to take that next step. That's what rang in my head, you know, and I actually made a mistake. You know, I, I started too fast. You know, my first day I hiked, you know, 16, 17 miles, you know, and that's way too fast for, for the AT. And I didn't do that to show off. I didn't do that because, you know, I'm this big, strong hiker. I did because I was nervous. You know, I was, I was nervous. And I thought the more I hiked, the more comfortable I would feel, the more I would fall into the rhythm of the trail, you know, then the more I might meet people. So, 
but I made a huge mistake by starting out too fast. You know, my first couple of days were 17, 16, 18 miles, you know, and I got, you know, knee pain, you know, which is, you know, classic on the trail. And, um, and I, if I would do it, I, I would do it a lot differently if I were to do it again. But um, I just think I had a lot of nervousness and anxiety and just, you know, and I was yelling at myself. I was thinking, you know, what the hell are you doing? You know, what the F are you doing? You know, what are you thinking? You know, I remember screaming that in my head, like, what are you thinking? You know, this is a 2,200 mile long trail. You're out of your mind. You're, you're absolutely out of your mind. <laughs> you know? so, but you keep walking and the miles go by. You know what, Wordsmith? Walking 2,200 miles is, is tough enough when you believe in yourself. And when you're, when you're yelling at yourself in your mind, I, that, that makes it even tougher. I mean, did, did you have a bit of maybe imposter syndrome out there at the beginning? Like, why am I doing this? Like, who am I to be doing this? Something like yeah, that. You know, know I, I, I don't, I don't fit in. I, it's, you know, everybody else has. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I'm in my forties, you know, we're an endangered species on the trail. You know, there, there's no one my age through hiking, you know, and, I don't quite fit in with the younger crowd. I don't quite fit in the older crowd, you know? So um, I had old, heavier gear, you know, I'm by myself, you know? Yeah, part of me felt, you know, what what am I doing here? You know, like, what, what's my place here? You know, I don't have any place, you know? So that, that took a while to get used to. Yeah, and going into it, did you know the success rate of, you know, the, the completion rate for the AT? Yeah, like 20, 25%, yeah. So, yeah, yeah right. Knew. Nope. that's got that's got a way on you as well having that self-doubt and knowing that you know 75 percent of people start but don't finish yeah yeah i mean my friends had a lot more confidence in me than i did you know they they would tell you that you know i never doubted for a second you'd finish but i did you know i, I really did um i i doubted it and of course there's that that's added pressure right i mean you've told friends you told family that you're doing this sure. they know you're out there and now you're yeah. thinking you know, that's an additional weight of other people's eyes on you saying, you know, I know you can do it. And now you feel this burden that you, you, you have to live up to that. Yeah. And that's a double sort of, you know, Instagram and social media, because you're posting these things, you know, you're getting followers and people kind of pushing you wanting more, wanting more, wanting more of that story, wanting more of those pictures. So, you know, it, it can become a snowball effect emotionally that can be hard to maintain. So, um, yeah, there was definitely pressure and you need to, you need to dial that down you need, you need to to silence that and ignore it and just just hike now you mentioned earlier that uh, you hadn't had much experience with the trail community the through hiking community what what was the the end result of your experience with the, the through hiking community how would you sum that up it was amazing you know that, that's that's the heart and soul of the at you know is the people um you know i never met a single bad person on the trail you know I, I met people who might be you know grouchy or whatever but i never met a single bad person on the trail you know it it was truly remarkable you know just you know the, the trail angels the trail magic um you know the friends i hiked with you know the, the people i saw just random people you'd walk through a town and people were friendly and nice and wanting to help you you know it really shows the best of america and it, it really, you know, it really made the hike. It really transformed the hike. Such a positive community. And I think that on the trail, you there's a tendency to bond with people quickly. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you meet somebody 
And within five minutes, you're, you're telling them things that, you know, you haven't told people back home. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You're absolutely right. You know, the, like the, the arc of friendship is so much shorter when you're on the trail, you know, like in, in the real world, you know, it might take a few weeks or months to develop a friendship, but you know, on the trail, it happens, as you said, within minutes, you know, it truly does. We are just sharing things. You're just so open and so, so candid, you know? So, and I think it's because we're also vulnerable, you know, we're also vulnerable. We're also in a way weak. So, you know, you, you begin to trust people so much more quickly and it really makes the experience. Yeah, you, you, you must be an author because you had a very poetic turn of phrase right there. The arc of friendship is very short. Uh, that, yeah. that really puts it uh, succinctly, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really does. You know, it's amazing. I, I can think of the people I met and how quickly, you know, we became friends. You know, it, it was just remarkable. You know, <laughs> it really was, you know. And they like, like you mentioned, they start telling you personal things, like, you know, private personal things within hours you know so it's just like you know that it just goes to show you just how amazing this trail is it really is yeah i like to call that trauma bonding yeah <laughs> yeah so tell me about some of the interesting characters you met on trail because i have a feeling that you know they showed up in your your instagram stories and uh wow. They, they seem, just from the way you're talking, they seem to have captured your imagination. Were there a couple of characters that really stood out? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I could talk to you for hours. But, um, you know, I think it was my Franklin, North Carolina. The trail goes by near Franklin and a storm was coming, like a really cold wintry, winter storm was coming. So a lot of us were getting off trail. So there was these two girls from Germany. They were through hiking. And um, so we get a, we get a shuttle into town and, you know, I'm talking to the shuttle driver. He's driving this big pickup truck. And we asked the shuttle driver, you know, how many people have you had in this truck, you know, shuttling people? And he said, you know, he gave a number. He said, are you including the people in the bed of the truck? And I said, yeah. And the German girls picked right up. They said, you can ride in the bed of a pickup truck? And we said, yeah. He said, in Germany, that's forbidden. You know, in Germany, that, that's illegal. You'll get arrested and thrown in jail if you're caught riding in the bed of a pickup truck. So the show driver was like, well, when I bring you back to the trail tomorrow, you can ride in the back of the bed, the bed of the pickup truck. So the next morning they, they pick them up and uh, it's a frigid cold day. I mean, it was freezing and there's, you know, I'm hiking with three other guys and we feel bad that these two girls are sitting in the bed of the truck and the three guys are crawling in, you know, in the cab, the warm cab, but those girls climb the bed of that truck and and Franklin is a, is a long hitch. It's a long drive. It's like 20, you know, 20 minutes or so. So it was cold. We get to the trailhead. Those girls pop out of the bed and they were, had the biggest smiles on their faces. You know, they said, this was the best thing ever. You know, we, we had the best time riding the back of that pickup truck. So, you know, things like that. It was just, you know, absolutely incredible. And then, you know, one of my best nights on trail was in Palmerton, Pennsylvania. So, uh, it was a really hot day, you know, very hot day. And uh, some people I was hiking with, they, you know, look on their phone on the far out app and they said, well, there's this lady in town who lets people stay for free in their, in her backyard. So I said, okay, let's go there. So uh, we go there. I mean, she has a, a small narrow house. If you know that the, the towns in the East, you know, a lot of the coal mining towns, you know, they have very narrow houses and very narrow lots, you know, in the back of the house. So, 
you know, so her name is Squeak. That's her trail name. And she says, yeah, you know, pitch a tent up in the back of the house. You know, it's a narrow yard, maybe 15 feet wide, 20 feet wide. You know, there's some junk and garbage kind of, you know, in the yard. And uh, so we're all pitching up our tents. Oh, she's an Irish bagpipe player. Apparently there's a big difference between Irish bagpipe players and Scottish bagpipe players. So every day at six o'clock, she's on her door stoop in Palmerton, Pennsylvania, playing her bagpipes. And she did it for us when we were there. So one of the through hikers comes back and she says to me, you know, she has a banana with her. I said, where'd you get a banana? She said, well, there's a store in town that gives free fruit to through hikers. I said, be quiet, shut up. You know, that's, not, that's not happening. She said, yeah, follow me. So I follow her. Lo and behold, you walk in the store, you say, I'm a through hiker. They tell you, get your free fruit over in the, you know, over in the produce section. So, you know, it was just a magical, you know, magical time. So, you know, we're sitting around, you know, grilling, drinking beers in, her, in this tiny little lot, you know, tents filling up the yard. And Squeak tells us, you know, I have five rules for staying here. And I don't remember the five rules, but I remember one of the rules. And she said, do not buy drugs from the neighbors. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, was just, it was just incredible. You know, it was just, just absolutely, you know, amazing. You know, just the people you meet on this trail. Just, I can't explain it. You know, I can't explain it. All right. Now, were there any moments out there where you thought to yourself, what in the hell am I doing here? This, this is, this is not looking good. Um, I'm in trouble. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, my low point came in, in Vermont. Um, once I got to Vermont, I was kind of done and I was kind of done with this hike. I was kind of over it. You know, I love Vermont. It's not Vermont's fault. It was just, I just, I was just done. You know, I was just done with this hike. You know, it was a hot day. I needed to get to Manchester center to resupply you know, it was a long hitch to get there and I needed to take a break. You know, I was, by this time I was hiking a lot by myself, the, the trail, the trail community kind of broken up after Harper's Ferry heading North. And I was just left my own devices. I start hiking, you know, and I don't stop and that it caught up to me. And um, so I said, I'm going to go to Manchester center. I'm going to get, you know, a, I'm going to get a, a hostel or a hotel room or something. I'm going to take a rest. So I get a hitch in Manchester center and, you know, the hostel's filled and this is a really wealthy tourist town, you know, and I call the look into the, uh, the hotels are like $300 a night. I can't afford that. I can't, you know, spend that kind of money. So I thought, you know, I have to, I have to go back to trail, you know? So what if you told get me my food. would they give you a free room? Like the, like the other town gave you free fruit? <laughs> no, not, not Manchester center. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I get food at the grocery store to resupply. I go to McDonald's to recharge my stuff, charge my battery, my phone, you know, and I, I'm sitting there for like two hours for my stuff to charge. And I'm just feeling pathetic. You know, I'm just feeling absolutely pathetic. You know, people are looking at me and I'm thinking, what if I just quit? You know, what if I'm just done with this? You know, it's 1500 miles. It's, it's enough. You know, I've done enough. And I thought to myself, no, you can't, you know, you're going to regret this if you, if you quit. And I thought, well, what if I take a break? You know, what if I go home for a few weeks and take a break? And he said, no, no, the time is now you have to keep moving forward. So, you know, I, I, I eat more. I went to another restaurant and ate, you know, I'm trying to eat as much as I could. And I said, okay, Jeff, you have to get back to the trail. You know, you have to get back to the trail. So I'm there hitching in Manchester center and all these cars are going by me, you know, just, just flying by me. 
I'm thinking these are all, you know, just rejection. You know, I'm just seeing rejection, rejection, rejection as all these cars going by me. I'm just feeling down, you know, I'm just feeling depressed. And then uh, a lady pulls over and picks me up. Her name's Lori, you know, and um, she was the nicest lady. You know, she took me to the trail and I knew her for 10 minutes and I'm still talking about her, you know, so she really restored my faith in the trail, but that was, that was my lowest moment. Definitely. That's incredible. And you know, during episodes, I'm always looking out for a, a great title for the episode. It's just something that comes naturally uh, from our conversation. And when you said, Hey, it's not Vermont's fault. I wrote that down. That could, that could be the title of this episode. It's not Vermont's fault. That, that's awesome. It's not. <laughs> I love Vermont. Vermont's a great state. You know, it really is. It's just, just, it's just, just the time and the place. Okay. Let's, let's talk logistics. What was your start date on the AT? March 4th. March 4th. And when did you finish up? July 29th. Okay. And take us through that last day heading up to Katahdin. What, what was going through you? Oh boy. Oh. Oh, geez. I, I, I mean, you're kind of an autopilot, you know, I was kind of numb and I definitely felt satisfaction and pride and I was definitely deeply happy, but I also had a sense of numbness, you know, and, uh, just autopilot, you know, it's a big climb up Katahdin. It's a tough climb up Katahdin. And um, so I, I camped in the birches. It's a little campground or campsite for through hikers in, in Baxter State Park. And, uh, uh, you know, we began our climb up. It's early in the morning. It's cloudy and misty. And we're going through the scrambly section and uh, the clouds break. And it's just amazing. You know, the views are just stunning. Just, you know, being above the clouds and seeing them move across the atmosphere and, you can see the, the blue lakes in the distance and just the, the, the ocean of green. It was, it was, it was absolutely beautiful. And then I continued my climb up and then the clouds came back in. So once I reached the tablelands there in the last mile, you know, it was like misty and, you know, I'm just hiking and you always think the next rise, the next hill up is going to be the sign, you know, but it's not. And you keep going and you think the next rise is going to be the sign and it's not. And then, you know, you see that sign, you know, and it's, it, it was, it was, it was amazing. You know, it's, it's something that would live with me for the rest of my life. And, you know, the sign was smaller than I thought it would be, you know, it's actually not a very big sign, you know, it's, I thought the timbers would be bigger, you know, and thicker, and it's really not a, you know, a, a, a thick, heavy sign at all. And you climb the back of it and it's really, you know, rickety, not rickety, but just, you know, narrow wood and, you know, and, and the, behind you is like a cliff you know it's like a really steep drop behind you so you know you think you're climbing this a tall ladder almost to the top of the sign and the wind is swirling and it's kind of cold and misty and then the clouds start opening up and peeling away from the mountain you know and you can see you know knife's edge you can see chimney pond you know far back down below and it was just um it was amazing it was truly 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 special but i didn't cry you know i thought I, when I touched the sign, I didn't, I didn't cry. You know, I, I was actually more emotional at the halfway point than I was at Katahdin, you know, in terms of crying. Um, uh, I was just deeply happy, you know, I was just deeply content and happy, you know, that's all I can say. So in a four and a half month uh, journey on the trail journey of 2,200 miles, there's typically some self-discovery. 
I, I imagine you learned something about yourself. What what would Katahdin, Jeff Mitchell, whisper into the ear of Springer Mountain, Jeff Mitchell? Ooh, jeez. Huh. I don't know. I, that's a good question. Um, I, uh, I mean, I could say things like, you know, you can do it, you know, you, you, you know, you can persevere and you can do it, you know, I, I think it's more than that. You know, I think the lessons are one of something as fundamental as patience. You know, someone actually asked me that in the hundred mile wilderness, you know, someone asked me, what lesson did this trail teach you? And I said, the trail taught me patience, you know, and it seems like such a simple word, you know, but patience is really, is really the bedrock of, of creating the solutions that you want in your life, you know, and if you're willing to give yourself patience, um, give other people patience, then you can find the solutions in the way forward. And, um, you know, patience, as far as, you know, accepting yourself and accepting who you are and accepting, you know, where you're at in life and accepting other people as they are, you know, accepting things as they are, not always as you want them to be, you know, and, um, so I would say, you know, having a new sense of patience was, was the one thing that I really learned and it really made my hike a success. You know, like you can't control everything. You can't micromanage a hike like this. You cannot plan every day, you know? So having that sense of patience and um, giving you the space and the time to do something like this uh, was, was the lesson ultimately I learned the most. You know, and patience can be applied to so many circumstances. It can be applied to so many lessons. And I, I wrote this that, you know, patience is power. You know, we don't think of patience as being powerful, but it is, you know, it's not, it's not simply a passive word. You know, it's actually can be an active word, you know, if you apply it to your life. And, um, you know, it's really, it's, that's what changed me the most, I'd have to say, is that fundamental bedrock aspect of patience. Yeah, it, there's a lot of transfer in that concept to to everyday life. I mean, that it, that is a powerful tool. Absolutely. Well said. All right. Hey, you also in addition to to having a lot of trail experience, you also have some canoeing experience. Yeah, yeah, I've done a lot of paddling in my life. I've also done a lot of whitewater paddling. Um Yeah, I mean, I've I've paddled several rivers and lakes and stuff like that. I don't do it as much anymore. Um, but, uh, it's something that I've, I've always enjoyed, you know, it's just the rhythm of the water, the rhythm of the, of the current, you know, and, um, just feeling the power of the water and the river is just something that's just so mesmerizing and really takes the stress away in a very different way than say hiking or through hiking, you know, and, um, it's something I really enjoyed doing. I really did. Now, do you have your own canoe? I have a kayak. Kayak. I have actually two kayaks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And these experience on the trails and in the kayaks, uh, you've used those experiences to, to write some books. Uh, I think you've the author of five books. Am I correct? Uh, I think five titles, five um, titles. but one's a second edition. So six books maybe, but yeah, I've written uh, Hiking the Endless Mountains, uh, Backpacking Pennsylvania, Backpacking New York, um, Paddling Pennsylvania, Hiking the Allegheny National Forest. I think that's all of them. Yep. 
Okay. And what, what is the structure of the books? Do they all have a similar structure? What, what can one expect yeah. to find in those books? Um, they're all guidebooks. Um, so there's basic information in terms of guidebooks, uh, like, you know, directions, locations, maps, some photographs, and some of them, you know, what to expect on a trail or a river or whatever. Um, um, my last book was Backpacking New York, and that was a little bit different. I, it was not just a guidebook, but it was also, I, I put in stories, you know, you know, stories of my hikes and experiences when I, you know, was backpacking up there. Um, so those, you know, those are what you can find in those books. Um, they're all on Amazon. I mean, some of them are out of print now, but, um, you know, they're all on Amazon, you know, dot com. Okay. Any inkling whatsoever to uh, take those stories that you posted at Instagram? I imagine you have a number of those and maybe uh, stringing those together and putting into some kind of AT memoir. Yep. I'm doing that now. So, yeah. Yeah. Are you really it's happening now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to yeah, tell the I, listeners, I mean, I, you have to tell the listeners I had no for, foreknowledge of that. That I, I just came up with that. He did not. Right he did not. No, no, no. He had no knowledge of that. That was happening, but yes, that is happening. Um, it's now 214 pages long, but yes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, and I, I, I've read some, you know, trail memoirs, you know, I'm, I don't really want to be the main character necessarily. I think I want to be more of the thread and really focus on the other people I met along the way. I want to make it more, you know, personal, if not intimate. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I'm going to do it and see where, where it takes me. You know, I want to, I, I hope it to be an easy read. That's going to challenge the reader. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Man, I'm looking forward to that. Sign me up. I, I want to read that one. Now, so let you know. Many. Okay, thank you. Uh, have you read Journeys North by Barney Scoutman? No, I haven't. Huh. Okay, so I don't. I don't want to get in the way of your creative flow or anything. So maybe wait until after. But the, with the way you just described it as not being the central character and just being kind of the thread that ties everything together, he does an excellent job with his PCT memoir called Journeys okay. North where okay we spend a lot of time with a lot of different characters and it's it was you really had a sense of what trail life was like really good oh good good i'll check that out okay now i think you mentioned uh a little earlier about what's next for you you want to want to recap that again what, what what are the next big adventures for wordsmith uh i hope to do the colorado trail in uh, the summer july and august um and then uh my plan is the Pacific Crest Trail next year. So uh, that's what I hope to do on some shorter trails, you know, in this part of the country as well. Um, I want to hope to do the Franconia Loop in, uh, in uh, New Hampshire and uh, stuff in the Adirondacks. But uh, uh, that's, that's my hope, you know, to do those two trails. And um, after the PCT, I'm going to revisit, you know, my profession and see where I'm at with how I feel about work and, you know, moving forward with that. But uh that's the immediate plan right now. Okay. Anytime I hear the Colorado trail, I have to give a shout out to uh, Jeff Garmeyer who set the FKT for the Colorado trail. He's currently out barnstorming with a couple of other guests that we've had on the podcast with the new documentary of that FKT attempt um, called the free outside. So big shout out to him. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. You have to check uh, how, how, how many days did he do it in? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that question. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was epic. So, oh wow, you'll have to check it yeah, out. It looks like an amazing trail. Yeah, 
Dylan Harris was the filmmaker, did a fantastic job putting it all together. It's it's kind of like, you know, Jeff's attempt of, of, of the Colorado FKT, but it's also uh, kind of the behind the scenes and the crew and what the crew had to deal with to keep, try and keep up with him and interact with him yeah, at different yeah. points during the trail. It was, it was really, really well done. Nice. And then on the PCT, if you end up doing the PCT, uh, read Journeys North ahead of time because uh, Scout and Frodo, Scout's the author of the book, Scout and Frodo, his wife, they are trail angels that uh, host first-time PCT hikers at the, the night before, and they give you a ride down. Oh, to really? Yeah. Okay. So they host you at their house. They they feed nice. you dinner. They they answer questions. They give talks on on what to expect on the trail. Just a, a really neat couple. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. You know, with, I mean, I'm not used to this arid hiking. You know, drier hiking weather and terrain, but uh, I think I can figure it out. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. And when you get up to the Acton Agua Dulce area of the PCT. Uh, shoot me a message. I'll pick you up. I'll take you to a Mexican restaurant out there. Do a oh, thanks. Trip. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Hey, Wordsmith, you know where we are? Oh, no. What? The pro tip insight of the week. That's right, Half Calf. It's time for Wordsmith to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So what do you have for us, Wordsmith? I already gave you one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, I would say go someplace new. You know, I think um, a lot of us, you know, hit the same trails, the same parks, the same places, you know, the, the well-known places. And I would say take the time and do the research and, uh, you know, find some place new to go to, you know, um, some of my best, best experiences have been doing that, you know, maybe, you know, take a break from the popular places, the well-known trails and, uh, find that little known gem, that little known trail and explore that. Uh, you know, I, it's been it's something I've done and, uh, it's, those are some of the most memorable, memorable, you know, experiences that I've had outdoors. Um, you know, it, it, it like one thing I've realized on this journey and the trail and the AT is just how much beauty there is out there, you know, in places that you wouldn't expect it. And, uh, and I really would encourage people to, to try to find those places and, um, and visit them, you know, uh, you know, I've been, you know, to so-called boring places like, you know, Kentucky or, you know, Arkansas or, you know, maybe West Virginia. And, you know, those are some of those beautiful places I've ever, ever been to, you know? So, you know, if you take that time and visit those places and meet those people, those are the times you're going to remember, you know, years from now. That's a great piece of advice. Thank you so much. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Jeff. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Wordsmith, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, the best is Instagram. I'm hiking underscore Mitch on Instagram. So, uh, you know, that's probably the best place where you can uh, find me and see what I'm up to. I post pictures pretty frequently. Um, so that's, you know, that's the place for me typically. Okay. And in everyday life, do you go by Jeff or by Mitch? Your friends call you Mitch? They do. <laughs> so, 
Uh, my friends from college call me Mitch, uh, but people also call me Jeff. So uh, I, I, I answer to either. So Okay. Just don't call you late for dinner. That's how the line goes. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmuir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Jeff, we're also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book or a movie, or a documentary, website, something, some kind of outdoor uh, media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. Any recommendations for us? Jeez. Oh, boy. Oh, I can't think of one right now. I mean, we'll stipulate that your books are at the top of that list, but is there another book or another documentary that uh, is also uh, almost as good as that? Almost as good as that. Uh, let me think. Let me think. I don't. Uh, I'm trying to think what I've watched recently. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm drawing a blank. Drawing a blank. Okay, just relax. We'll go through a little bit more here, and maybe it'll come to you. Okay. Yeah, to get on my phone and uh, start start surfing the net. <laughs> <laughs> what have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up tonight, just one more segment called "What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About." What What did I miss tonight? Well, I mean, you asked me about my 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 last day on trail, but you didn't ask me about my first day on trail, so. Um, so the, the first day on trail, I started at Amakalola Falls and, uh, it was actually the, the night before and you, ha you can register, uh, you know, in the ranger station there, or the park office there. So I go there and, um, to get my tag and, uh, the ranger's there and she gives like a leave no trace talk. And, uh, she said to me, well, you're hiker 789. I said, okay, so what? So that's a lucky number. How's that lucky number? Because the numbers are in sequence. I said, okay, you know, I'll take that, whatever, you know, whatever. And then she said to me, well, you're starting March 4th. I said, that's a lucky day. I said, how's that a lucky day? Because you are going to March 4th to Katahdin. I said, hey, I'll take all the help I can get, all the luck I can get on this journey. So, uh, you know, that was the first, you know, little send off I had on the trail and it kind of, you know, set, set the mood for 2,200 miles, you know, on those hard days, I thought back to that moment, you know, Emacola Falls and it, you know, kept me moving. So, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was, that was kind of special for me. Very cool. That th those two little pieces of information carried you through to the end. Yeah. Nice. All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the John Freakmere studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Jeff? I'm going to shout out to the guys I hiked with on the trail, Flatlander, Schnickel and Major. Um, you know, those are the three guys I saw, you know, the most on the trail. So I hope they're doing well. And, uh, I look forward to seeing them again on the trail sometime soon. So to those three guys there. Okay. Did you think of a documentary? I, I didn't. I okay. didn't, you know, all right. All right. Well, you're you going to lower my, you're going to, you're going to lower my score again, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that just leaves the door open to come back on another episode. And we'll, we'll yeah. We'll, we'll on a future episode, I'll, I'll have a, <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. 
It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if the two German girls took the coveted spot in the back of the pickup truck. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.